Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, August 10th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host. I'm challenging the rhetoric. talk about taxes and sovereign citizens. Do you know what a sovereign citizen is? I myself was very close to becoming one for a short period of time in my life many, many years ago. For those who've listened to my series, Rise of the Modern Cult, you've gotten a little taste of my tale. I was heavily involved in the conspiracy world for many, many years. I still do believe in some conspiracies. I'm not afraid to admit that. And in that time that I was really deeply involved in that world, I had encountered many sovereign citizens. For those that are paying attention to both the Oregon and Nevada standoff case involving the Bundy families and their supporters, many are wondering who is and who isn't a sovereign, or erroneously group all of the defendants and their supporters under the title of sovereign citizens. It's an easy mistake to make. Some of the actions, processes, and or the procedures that have been undertaken by occupation leader Ammon Bundy and others come straight from the sovereign ideology, however. Ammon still claims he is a U.S. citizen, and a true sovereign citizen would not make that claim. Now, his brother Ryan seemingly uh, does not have any fears of, say, of denouncing it and calling himself an idiot of the Bundy Society in his own legal documents. So to give you a lay idea of what a sovereign citizen is, it's not necessarily something you're born into. You can certainly be indoctrinated in, into it if you are born and raised into a family that is already a sovereign, but anybody can become a sovereign citizen at any time. The sovereign movement is a loose grouping of American and Canadian litigants, basically commentators, tax protesters, and financial scheme promoters. And when we're talking like litigants, you guys, um, like Judge Doucette that we've heard about lots of times with regards to the Bundy case or people who say the fake judge or, you know, that sort of stuff. So that's what that kind of part, that part of this means. And they take this position that they are answerable only to their particular interpretation of the common law, of common law, and they're not subject to any statutes and or proceedings at the federal, state, or municipal levels. They also do not recognize the United States currency um, in, in the sense that we do. Now, I would argue that point when we're looking at facts and true definitions. This is a, this is a definition that I'm reading to you right now. And there, there are many people that are sovereign citizens. It takes money to live for many, but there are some that are so far off the grid uh, that truly live off the land and stuff. It, it is true that there are many legitimate sovereign citizens that do use currency. Um, anyways, they, are, they consider themselves to be basically free of any kind of legal constraints. They especially reject most forms of taxation um, as, an illegi- as, as being illegitimate. And that's going to be a big topic tonight on the show. Participants in this movement, they'll argue that the concept is in, in opposition to federal citizens, who they say have unknowingly forfeited their rights by accepting some aspect of federal law. The doctrines of the movement are similar to those of the, of the freemen on the land movement, more commonly found in Britain and Canada, So many members of the sovereign citizen movement believe that the United States government is illegitimate. If you follow me on Twitter, chances are you also follow J.J. McNabb. J.J. McNabb, who writes for Forbes about anti-government extremism, she is really great at describing sovereign citizen movement as consisting of individuals who believe that the county sheriff is the most powerful law enforcement officer in the country. 
with authority superior to that of any federal agent, elected official, or local law enforcement official. This belief comes from the movement's origins in the white extremist group Posse Comitatus. So the whole um, sheriff, the sheriff, we hear, we hear a lot about constitutional sheriffs and stuff like that in the standoff stories. But again, not all of these people are, in fact, sovereign citizens. There's many different, I, I tell you week after week, that there are many different types of groups and people and ideologies at play with these particular cases. Uh, the FBI classifies some sovereign citizens, sovereign citizen extremists, as domestic terrorists. In 2010, the Southern Poverty Law Center estimated that approximately 100,000 Americans here, right here in the United States were very hardcore sovereign believers, with another 200,000 that are just starting out by kind of testing some of these sovereign techniques for resisting everything from speeding tickets to drug charges. We see the phony license plates. We've seen many a video of, of violence uh, take place at, at what should just be a routine traffic stop when it involves some of these very hardcore sovereign citizens. According to a 2014 report by the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism in Responses to Terrorism, also known as SMART, a survey of law enforcement officials and agencies across the United States concluded that the movement was the single greatest threat, the single greatest threat, okay, to their communities, ranking even above Islamic terrorists and jihadis, okay. Tonight, our guest is not a sovereign citizen, but he has some really interesting experiences with very well-known sovereign citizen Kent Hovind. The guest tonight is Robert Beatty. He's a former IRS appeals officer who will be able to shed uh, quite a bit of light on the tax side of the sovereign movement. But before I bring on tonight's returning, uh, before I bring on tonight's guest, let me give you the details that you need to know to participate with us during the live show. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. Find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. Tonight, we're using the hashtag CTR. SovCitPA, which is S-O-V-C-I-T-P-A, and Sovereign Citizen Patriot, kind of a combination there. Oregon Standoff and Bundy Ranch as well. All of the stories that I cover, they are available on the CTR website at challengingtherhetoric.news. You can chat with us in the listener chat room during the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric with Sherry Roberts. You can spell my name C-H-E-R-I to find it. Click on show number 40. The chat room is going to appear right beneath that slider. And if you're already on the page and you don't see it, hit refresh, scroll down, it should be right there. If it's not, it's an issue with Blog Talk Radio. Remember, this is really a dialogue. I don't do the debate thing. I think dialogue is the answer. I think dialogue is what we're missing. That's what's completely pretty much dropped out of, out of humanity because of technology. So I do not t tolerate at all any kind of personal attacks on me or other people in the chat room or on my guests any kind of over-aggression or trolling, anything like that is going to happen. You will get booted out of the, out of the chat room. Um, but I do encourage you to interact with each other and learn from one another. Don't forget, if you're listening to an archive, though, there is no live chat. So here we go. Okay. By the power invested me in the supreme ruler of challenging the rhetoric, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's probably a good time for me to go ahead and bring on my guest. Uh, Robert Beatty, like I said, he is a former, he is a former uh, IRS appeals officer who is pretty much an expert on sovereign citizen Kent Hovind. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's it's nice to have you. Now, you and I, we participate quite a bit together uh, on, on social media and in some forums, like over at the Fogbo. And, um, you know, you 
you you got uh, don't take this the wrong way, but you got a bit of an obsession with Kent Hovind in the in the fact most of the interactions that I have with you, including when you're in my chat room here on the show, you're always referring to different aspects of that case, and so it made sense to bring you on and talk about it because sovereign citizen movement does play a part in these standoffs. So if you could just briefly kind of tell the listeners what your background is, I, my understanding you were with the IRS for about 30 years. Yes, that's correct. I spent my career in Oklahoma. Uh, first 55 years of my life were there, and 30 or so with the Internal Revenue Service as an office auditor to begin with, uh, a couple of years in the review staff and the balance, 20 or so years as an appeals officer settling disputed tax cases. When you were when you were with the IRS, how long have you been retired now? Uh, a little over 10 years. Awesome. So when you were with the IRS, um, and before we jump into Kent Hovind, uh, I do want to ask, was his case one that was particularly stood out to you and kind of stuck with you because it was maybe, was it like the most unusual case you'd come across or had to deal with, or was there, was there, was there other situations that were similar that you had to deal with? Well, I think there's a that number kind of, along of lines. factors to that bring Kent and I together. Uh, we're both religious. We're both about the same age. He was a tax protester. Uh, he's a young earth creationist. Uh, all those kind of uh, work to bring us together. And so I developed that hobby and have been with it for some time. Uh, unfortunately, Kent and I have not developed a close personal relationship. He's always on the run from me and won't come out and face me and deal with some of these issues. And now he he went to prison and he's out now. Is that correct? He's out? Right. Okay. So, and you've out. had yeah. some more recent... Go ahead. Uh, he got out in the summer of 2015. He's been out about a year. Okay. So why don't you explain um, to the listeners um, a, a little bit about how it came to be. I'm going to tell the listeners, uh, Count Hoven is a sovereign citizen, Christian fundamentalist, evangelist. He's a tax protester who established the creation science evangelism in uh, 1989, I believe, and also the Dinosaur Adventureland Park in 2001. He began serving in a 10-year prison sentence in January 2007 for, for failing to pay his taxes, obstructing federal agents, and structuring cash transactions. It looks like he got out before that 10 years was up. So why don't you um, tell the listeners kind of how you know, his file, his name, came to be on your desk and kind of walk us through that a little bit. Okay, his his file never really came to be on my desk. I never had a professional IRS relationship with his case, which is important to note. Uh, other people worked his case. I just became aware of it and followed it and reported on it and tried to investigate, you know, from a personal standpoint and deal with those issues. But Kent. From uh, reports I have, his entire adult life, he's had this anti-government, sovereign citizen type of approach and uh, apparently never filed a personal income tax return, and his wife followed in that course. Uh, 
for all those years. And he finally got enough attention from the IRS that they began investigating him and investigated him for years, had all sorts of tax issues developed. And eventually, in 2006, he was arrested on those charges you indicated, uh, convicted and sent off for 10 years and got off some good time and so didn't quite serve the full 10 years. Uh, He's indicated no uh, remorse, as they say in the legal business, uh, no repentance from a religious standpoint. Uh, He's apparently the same old uh, Kent. As before, even though he's tried to make some adaptations uh, in his current uh, financial dealings, which may or may not be successful in the long run. And is he paying taxes? Uh, I don't know. Uh, apparently, he's he's developed at least or formed at least two nominee corporations, as I call them. He's had other people. Uh, put together these corporations, one a for-profit corporation, one a non-profit corporation uh, that has even gotten 501c3 status from the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, How they are treating their finances is anybody's guess. They they claim to be in compliance, uh, but Kent has done what he could to make sure the IRS never finds anything in his name because he owes millions and he has apparently no intention of paying that debt down. Can you talk a little bit on the types of businesses, what his organizations are, so the audience can know and understand them a little better? Well, the the business that got him into trouble uh, involved his uh, speaking and preaching and selling religious products, his tapes and seminars, including some, you know, sovereign citizen tax protester type stuff. And he was bringing in in excess of a million dollars a year and not reporting any any liabilities or filing any tax returns. Currently, he's just recently moved to Alabama to start his fantasy land a bigger and better dinosaur adventure land camp, convention center, uh, matchmaking uh, operation and wedding chapel and recreational vehicle hangout, uh, which is what it was before he bought it. So he's he's got 150 acres he can do a lot with, and reportedly it was bought by his nonprofit corporation, and so they may be asking the county to give them a tax exemption on it. Uh, I don't have any specific details about that. What about the, you said one of the things that, you know, kind of cued you into him was you guys were of similar age, and then you talked about religion. Can you talk about the religion aspect of it? Well, he's a Baptist. I'm a, a member of the Church of Christ, and historically those two groups have 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 had lots of, battles over the years uh but even independent of that you know we're both religious so i'm i'm interested in his his to some extent his religious philosophy as well as uh, in particular how it might affect his his uh, uh political 
activities and tax issues. He likes to invoke the name of God as if that will give him an exemption from taxes. I think that we hear a lot of people invoke the name of God or in their sentences in Amen, whether they're true believers or not, is not necessarily the point, but I think that people tend to use that, and especially people of of faith that have some sort of piousness to them. It seems to just, um, it's, it, I see it as a problem. I see that a lot with uh, some of the people involved in the standoff cases, and it's it's crazy how some of the religious terminology is pull, pu- you know, put out there as a crutch almost. Um, it's It's a little disturbing on some fronts. So I mean some of it is sweet, but some of it is very like, okay, that's that's very cultish talk, not even religious talk. do you how did you find the way that he Kent Hoven practices his religion and, and his entities, his businesses, do you find any kind of cult aspects to any of it? Well, I think a lot of people see certain cult aspects to it. Uh, I would I would say yes, there are symptoms of cultism. Uh uh, one one of my reliable sources, not very long ago, that will remain unnamed, uh, but was close uh, to Kent. Close enough, I would think. Yeah, that that point might be worth considering. Uh, referred to him in a Jim Jones type of characterization and he does have some of those characteristics if you listen to him uh, not very long ago uh, he was talking about you know you're with me or you're not but I'm going my way uh, and he's always talking about everybody else being wrong and him being right and look what he's done he sent his wife to prison uh, she divorced him it didn't phase him a bit he moved to Alabama he started his campground commune out in the middle of nowhere, as he calls it, and uh, he's got a group of supporters with some money, apparently, that are going to fund him, and so he certainly is set up, in a sense, very much like a cult group would do. Uh, unfortunately, perhaps, we're looking forward you know, in 20 years, when we look back, there might not have been any question, like in so many other cases, that there were red flags and there were cult indications. Uh, but right now we're looking forward, so we have some some speculation that we're dealing with instead of objective history. Is he? Is he? You know, he's obviously. You were saying, you know, one of his companies was a million-dollar company. At the time, and so is is he a smart businessman outside of the sovereign issues and the non-tax issues? Is he a smart businessman, or does he, or is how he's making money via his businesses? Is it more in tune to followers and supporters of his beliefs? Well, personally, I think he's a rather brilliant guy. A lot of his critics don't think so, but. I have to admire the guy for what he's done. He's developed a following around the world. He's been able to fund his lifestyle such as it's been, and it's been pretty good. Uh, so his, you know, before now, his businesses from a tax perspective would be considered a sole proprietorship. 
because he didn't engage in any other type of formal organization. Uh, so he had uh, he had the skill, and even now, if you listen to his tapes and watch his activities, such as you can find publicly displayed, he's got a lot going on with a lot of people, and it takes a lot of organization and wit to be able to do that. Um, do you think, uh, I have a question coming to me for you. Chastity uh, Bendeley on uh, Facebook is asking me to ask if you think that the church tithing is, do they think that the church tithing makes them exempt? Do, do people that, that do, do, do they think that if they if they tithe to their church that that kind of just keeps them exempt from everything else taxes wise? How does that part of their faith work? This belief, and you have and and I say faith when it comes to sovereign citizens. What people need to understand is those that are true, true followers of the of the, of, of being a sovereign, they they really believe that they're correct even on the things that they're not correct about. So do do they have any kind of uh, is there any aspect of that, that, that their beliefs, not just throwing it around and praise gods and stuff like that, but that their beliefs itself and their religion keeps them safe from this stuff? Is that part of their ideology? Well, I'm not sure I understand the question. Uh, in Kent's case, as I indicated earlier, he was operating as a sole proprietorship, but one of the things he liked to do is invoke the name of God as if he were exempt. Uh but he was not operating as a church, as we, the people, make that determination. He was not operating as a ministry, as we, the people, make that determination. He was operating the same as a guy at the corner that has a service station or a restaurant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Kent had his business, he made a lot of money, didn't pay his taxes, and... Uh, while people might really believe a certain thing, that's not how we decide tax issues and other social issues. Uh, that issue's been dealt with over and over throughout the years. And so what it does go to, I think, is what I've often said is Kent's undiagnosed narcissistic personality disorder and one of his heroes, Erwin Schiff, who died in prison third time around, a uh, tax protester, infamous tax protester, one of his associates, who was also convicted, beat the conviction on appeal because the lower court would not allow evidence to be introduced regarding his diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. It may not have when changed. When was that? His, when did he get the diagnosis? Uh, probably during the litigation <laughs> when he was evaluated. <laughs> okay. But my, my point was going to be, in part, that what they pointed to is that one of the symptoms is that you believe stuff in spite of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And so that's what image Kent and some of his people present 
they make claims, they take positions that are contrary to the overwhelming evidence, such as Kent's position on structuring, which he's made famous over the years, which I claim is just flat out wrong. And I, I accuse him of lying about it, but he won't come out and talk about it, and he won't send out his champion to talk with me about it. How can he not know that he's making false claims about what the law he was convicted of violating is after all these years? But he does. What, why do you, did, when he was sentenced, was his sentencing pretty much just kind of by the book of the law as far as, you know, minimum or maximum sentencing? Was there things that were dropped that you know of? Were there any kind of negotiations? Well, there was, uh, it gets complicated when you get in the sentencing guidelines, but he could have got a lot more. And a lot of people get a lot less. And Kent and his people like to harp on 10 years for this. Well, well, part of the deal is Kent didn't want to make a deal. He didn't want a minimum sentence. He didn't want to admit his guilt, which was ungetoverable, which goes to the narcissistic personality disorder. Kent went to trial, wouldn't put on a defense, wouldn't make a deal, and so the judge went through the, wouldn't admit his guilt. You know, that's a, that's a big deal as I see it. Uh, you look at all these other tax cases, people make plea deals and plead guilty and get six months or three years or five years or a lot less than Kent did. Kent has yet to even admit his guilt, and now he's wanting to have his three years of supervised release reduced to the one year he's already put in. I'm interested to see how it? that will go. I don't know. I'm surprised it? the I'm surprised the probation officer let him do what he's done, but we'll have to wait and see. I hope it presents a public record that we can see where he has to tell us why he thinks he ought to be released early, and then we get to see what the government comes back with in response. If he doesn't admit his guilt, I'm thinking that could be a big factor in, in whether or not he gets early release. Is there any reason there wouldn't be a public record? I mean, wouldn't that be typical motions and counter motions? That just like any other documents in court? Yeah, I, I think, I think if, he, if he formally wants to get out early, he has to file a motion with the court, which would put it into the public record. You know, right now, I assume he's been going to his uh, probation officer every week like he's required, but he never talks about it. We don't know what's going on with that or why his probation officer has allowed him to do as much as he's been doing uh, or whether he's current on making his financial obligations as was ordered by the court. You know, we just don't know. He doesn't talk about it. It's not public record, so as far as I know. So we we have to wait and see how the public record develops. Did you Unless go to? Did you go to his trial? Go where? Did you did you go and participate in any of the hearings? I mean, go did did you um, did you spectate and uh, any of the hearings for him for his case? 
no, I, I was never involved or present at any of his litigation. Uh, you Were know, you Peter following Riley, it closely at that time as it was happening? Uh, no, I don't think I followed it that closely back in 2006 when he went to trial. Uh, I followed his 2015 uh, trial and that of his co-conspirator, Paul John Hansard, as close as I could. And uh, Peter J. Riley from Forbes had a documentary filmmaker covering it and developed a lot of interviews, which are part of the record on the Internet for those that want to look it up. So do you plan um, – well, you, okay, so you, let's switch gears for a minute. You've been on several different shows. Uh, you know, like you, you, you've, done, you've done a few different videos. You've done some stuff. You, you've written many long posts on, on the topic and stuff. Do you plan um, on writing a book on this topic or something? No, I don't consider myself organized enough to uh, try to – put it in book form, my Facebook co-administrator indicated he had a book in his plans, but I, I don't know if he'll ever bring that to fruition or not. I, I think it would make a good book. Uh, I think in particular, I think a better book would be to get his wife, who is basically undercover, to come out and tell her side of the story about the man she lived with for 30 years or so and let send her to prison. Right, right. So I'm going to jump so over real quick. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, so many of these people uh, have similar problems uh, and their their marriage suffers as a result of their decision to become tax cheats. And it played out that way in Kent's case as well. And that's something that we're going to be talking about in the next segment. If you hang tight real quick, uh, you're still on the air with me, but just give me a minute. I'm going to jump over to Liar of the Week segment, and then we'll get right back to this right where we left off. Um, okay. So let's go ahead and go to Liar of the Week. Now, you never know who's going to be my liar of the week because sometimes it's an individual, sometimes there's re repeat offenders like Michelle Fiore, sometimes it's specific groups of people. Tonight's one of those nights where it's specific groups of people, and this might not be popular um, with a lot of people, including my own fans, um, and I'm not, I'm not singling anybody out, I don't mean it that way, but this is a universal message. So no matter who you are and what you believe, we all participate in this to a certain extent on lots of different things. Um, the, so this week, anybody that's putting the Bundy crew and their supporters, so all the people that are tied to Oregon Standoff and um, and uh, the Nevada, the Bundy Ranch Standoff from 2014, there's a lot of people that keep grouping them together under the umbrella and calling them all sovereign citizens. There's a lot of confusion out there exactly what is and what isn't a sovereign citizen, and which is why I went over the definition when I opened the show. 
So while the Patriot Movement may have many true sovereign citizens in it, and many more who may be on the verge of falling into the sovereign trap or cult, as I believe it to be to a certain extent, not all and not even the majority of those that are involved or surrounding those cases are in fact sovereign citizens. Just because somebody does certain things that a sovereign citizen would do does not make them a sovereign citizen because they're doing other things that that are completely opposite of that. Some people, as we've found in these particular situations of being so many different types of groups of people, it's really true melting pot of, of a lot of different things. When we use labels as blanket statements, we ourselves are participating in, the, in propaganda. And what's more is this, understanding the differences between people and groups when they become not just when they become in the news, but those that surround you in your communities to be aware of. And um, whatever it is that's catching your eye, you can't blanket statement people. You need to start understanding where it's coming from. And there are many things that a lot of people fear that they don't have a, a real, a true legitimate reason to fear. Now, there are some very scary people in the sovereign citizen movement, but that's not everybody. That's not even necessarily the majority. Just like anything else, usually the ones that are yelling the loudest are few, and those are the ones that we're aware of. Now, at no time are you going to hear me say that sovereign citizens are all bad people. They're simply not. People are just that. They're people, and it does take all kinds. Backwards beliefs, or what we, I or you may think of as a backwards belief, does not mean that someone is inherently evil or bad. It just means that they are mistaken and or they just really believe. Now, if, if you had a child, and just let's say a child, for instance, if you had a child who was insistent that their carrot was green, and you can clearly see it's orange, because they're your child and you care about them, you're gonna, you might think it's funny at first, but then you might realize there's something a problem, especially when you see that they truly, truly believe that it's green. And you're going to want to try to understand that. So we can't just you know, put these blanket statements and, and, and make, you know, entertainment fodder and stuff like that. You need to kind of understand because sovereign citizens, it, the subject we're talking about tonight, they're all around you. They're not just people that live out in the woods all by themselves completely off the grid. Some people are at different levels of it, as, as I was saying. Some people are just on that precipice. And so they could, it could be your neighbor. It could be your babysitter's mother. It could be someone in your family. And it's worth your time to understand where that ideology, where those beliefs come from, because that's where we find those solutions. So like I said, there are many bad cases of bad sovereign citizens, but when we turn our noses at them and just make fun, just because we don't understand, then we're, we're participating in a type of a mental discrimination, which is kind of akin, although we're not talking about race, but it is kind of akin to a form of like racism. And so we are creating our own biases, and we're, we're allowing technology to really drive that. Um, creating these biases because we're feeding ourselves. And the way marketing works, and if you think you're not being marketed to just by reading tweets or Facebook posts, regardless of all the other ads there, you are in fact. And marketing is about those impressions um, and that frequency, frequency sells, and that's how beliefs get created. You're indoctrinating yourself into um, something that's, uh, you know, just, it's not how the world used to be and how people thought about people and humanity, that community, that community nature. We, people that, like like anybody looking at, say, the Bundys and like, they're guilty of this, this, and this, and this, okay? Well, the other aspect of that is you're guilty too. 
I am um, guilty too. We're all guilty of different aspects of not not what they did, but in it getting to that point because we are not paying attention. We are not getting to know what's around us and understanding it and being able to stop the things that we feel are wrong or dangerous before they become so. So that being said, um, if you are, you know, somebody that has been blanket stating, assuming all these people are sovereign citizens and perpetuating that, because, again, every time you post or tweet, lots and lots and lots and lots of people are seeing you. It's, it's that whole trickle-down, that snowball effect. So you might only tweet, you know, out and have only, you know, 100 followers, but eventually that goes a long, far way. And you know how people simply just believe what they see without actually really verifying it. So we need to be very careful um, when when we're using social media and what we're perpetuating even for a joke um, or anything else. Um, so if, if you are, you know, one of those kind of people, then shame on you. And we need to be different. We need to take time. Uh, to differentiate and realize that not all these people under these labels are bad people. If you do, then you need you need to know that you are the liar of the week. And we're going to jump back in to talking with Robert Beatty. So, Robert, you were talking about the marital problems and discord that happens with some of these issues, um, you know, in these in, the, in these sovereign movements um, and people like Kent Hovind. So you want to talk a little bit on his marriage particularly and then kind of broaden it out? Well, for for a long time, I have questioned what was going on with that. Uh, for up until recently, Kent Hovind had made his family circumstances a cornerstone of his ministry. And I had always, or for a long time, I had questioned what's going on with that because his wife, who got out of prison years and years ago, had basically gone underground, perhaps, uh, you know, to preserve the family business and all of that, and for other social and religious reasons. But she's never been allowed to come out and openly and honestly tell her story. And from what I have been told, it's certainly a story worthy of consideration in the context of what Kent is becoming. Uh, But even Kent, since he got out of prison, has admitted that he's been estranged from his wife and the rest of the family for years despite trying to put on this glowy picture of everything being fine and dandy, he finally had to admit that such was not the case. And his wife, I think, probably gets credit for sticking with him until he got out of prison because others had been counseling her that she needed to split formally a lot sooner, but she stuck it out, and I assume, based on what I see playing out, that it's because he was unrepentant and back to his old ways, perhaps a little clever for all the time and effort he'd put into what he was going to do when he got out, and so she wound up divorcing him. Well, Well, go ahead. I was going to say we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. I don't have really any connections or wherewithal to do much except watch 
once in a while people would tell me things like the situation with his kids that I've written about. Uh, right. I lost my train of thought. So go ahead. Well, that's okay. I, I have a caller who is a one of one of my one of my followers. Um, she has become a friend. She's from she she comes out of the Patriot movement, and there are many things that her and I disagree on, but we get along just great. Her name is Chastity Bendeley, and she um, has been pinging me on Facebook because she has some questions for you. She really liked what you were saying. Chastity, welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Hi. How are y'all doing? Hello. We're great. You have some. Hi, sir. You have some questions for Robert. I do, Robert. Um, I had um sent Mary, um, Sherry a message asking, as far as um with the sovereign citizens and and the tithings of the church, and I may not have articulated my question well enough in chat, um, because I was typing fast. Um, now my whole life. I have grown up LDS. Um, I I split from the church, um, but I also grew up in the state of Utah. Now, I know when we go to church, we tithe, and when we live in a housing development that has a ward, which is, uh, you you know, where the the LDS meeting house, um, the, the Church of Jesus Christ, when yes. you're part of that ward, you have to pay to be part of that ward in your in your community. On top of your tithing, um, the missionaries will come and they also collect. So anybody, even though I have separated myself from the church, my children are still attached to the church and they will come for tithings on Sundays for my children. Now, my question to you would be, do you think on a religious aspect that they feel that maybe they're paying their their dues to Jesus to, to, to hire up? They, they don't need to pay the IRS. They don't need to pay the government because, you know, we... When when I was when I was in the community, we paid a lot of money to the LDS church. We paid, you Kathy, know, our, our tithing. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think I can narrow your question down for Robert. Um, I think Go I ahead. think I understand it better now that you've uh, you've verbalized it. I think what she's wanting to know is because of the religion aspect of Kent Hovind that is his. Not all sovereign citizens necessarily have a deep faith in God. Many do, but there are some that do not. In his case, he he pledges he does. And I think what she's asking is his particular followers and him, his organizations, are they thinking that because, whereas, you know, sovereign citizens think that the sheriff is the highest power in the country, but at the same time that they don't need to pay taxes, they're paying their tithing to God. Yes. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure offhand I can make much sense out of what the real question is. I'm not that familiar with LDS, but it, it sounds to me, you know, if you if you pay your money to the church, depending on your income and other situations, uh, you take a deduction for the contribution and file your tax return, and maybe you owe a little, maybe you owe a lot. Uh, I don't see what the issue really is there. Uh, uh, Mormons, I think, or LDS, 
uh, depending on what branch, uh, generally go along with filing tax returns and paying what's due. Yes, I, we did. Well, we did yeah. Um, but a lot Go don't. Ahead, I, a lot of them don't because they feel that they're paying for their ward to worship, which is, you know, the LDS church. They feel they're paying their, their tithings on Sundays in church, and then they're paying their tithings when the missionaries come to the door. So that would be my question is, is maybe that is where a lot well, maybe maybe the Bundy cases have have pointed to the fact that amongst various sects of the uh, LDS Church, there is a lot of sovereign citizen theology going on. I don't know how deep it runs, uh, but that certainly is a implication one or an inference one might draw from seeing the Bundy cases play out. I was going to mention to Cherry that I might have to admit to being one of her liars of the week because I use sovereign citizen in a broad <laughs> broad sense. Although well, I'm hey, it, I, you're man enough to admit it, Robert. I applaud you. You're man enough to admit it. We need to not use yeah. the blanket statements. We can't call everybody militia that's not militia. We can't call everybody yeah. all these things. I mean, that is part of the problem that's creating so much confusion in the in the general public. And 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 it makes people care even less. There's nothing to understand when you, when we all label it one thing. So bravo to you, Robert. Um, go ahead. I, I I'm willing to look beyond the label and deal with the details, uh, but the label does serve a purpose in casual conversation or to get the conversation started. Uh, one of the analogies that may or may not work for you that came to my mind is uh, three people walk into a bank. Uh, and and rob it, and one of them shoots the teller. Uh, they can all three be charged with murder. There was plenty of sovereign citizen stuff going down in Oregon, and so you know to the extent to any one person might have actually believed some of this stuff is arguable, but it's certainly a a, a factor. To consider as you see how that played out. Uh, one of the connections that hadn't been mentioned yet that caused me to watch the Oregon case closer is because Pete Santilli interjected himself into the Hovind case by calling Hovind's judge in 2015 and attempted to intimidate and threaten her. And it was advertised that that had been investigated when the Oregon case developed. And uh, he did that after interviewing one of Kent's people. And so there there are connections between uh, all of these people. And w one of the things I liked the other day I saw J.J. McNabb mention is that one of the most common claims made by sovereign citizens I am not a sovereign citizen. There's a little humor there, but I think there's some truth in it. Ask Kent Hovind if he's a sovereign citizen, and he'll play word games with you. Right. To the extent Ammon or Ryan or any of the other individual defendants in the Oregon case have sovereign citizen beliefs, I couldn't argue that very well because I'm not that deeply versed in their individual personal feelings on different things. But there are indications that that played a part 
in that whole scenario. Uh, you know, Robert, I got to tell you, I, I, I do agree with you. And you you brought up Pete Santilli. I had totally forgotten about that until you brought it up. I mean, I know we, well, I didn't, you had posted something about that when I first met you many months ago, uh, but I had totally spaced that out until you said that right now. And because you said Santilli, I get, that gives me the chance to play this clip I have of me and Santilli. And um, it's from when I was on his show a couple of years ago, and um, I, I've only played this once on the show, and I, I'm looking forward to playing it now because, see, T. Santilli and I got along great. Um, we didn't have any kind of a falling out or anything like that. I was not a fan of his, his show and delivery. He knew that. Um, you know, everything I've ever said about T. Santilli, I've said to his face. And, um, you know, I like Pete as, as the person that I got to know face-to-face on a personal level. And when I was on his show, if he would have taken my advice, like he ranted and raved was so great, as you will hear, he might not be in this sort of trouble. We're all trying to form an opinion and learn in this extremely fast uh, social media environment uh, what advice can you give somebody right now, just on top of probably reemphasizing what you just said, what advice can you give people as to how they can say, man, what is the truth? How do I dig to the truth? Uh, how can I form this opinion based on, you know, make it a well-informed opinion? What advice can you give them? I think most people, when they open a headline or, or watch news, that they already have a preformed opinion. They already have a bias. And so what I would tell everybody is to challenge yourself Try to prove your own opinion wrong, and when you do that, you will find much closer to the truth, if not the actual. And when you are trying to disprove your own self versus collect everything to prove prove yourself, then that's where you're going to be able to check yourself. That's when you're going to be able to say, okay, wait a minute. Listen, you know what? I, we're not going to end on this note. There's no way. Uh, can, can you stay with me uh, into the next segment? Do you mind? Sure, that's fine. You sure? Yeah, that's great. I know you're. I know you're on your cell phone. I want to make sure you have enough battery life. If you can, that, that'd be great because uh, I've got a couple other things that I need to. I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm with Sherry Roberts. That advice that was just given right there. Uh, I'm going to personally use it myself. Um, that that is a great great philosophy. We've been trying to teach our listening audience. You know, don't just like Bill Cooper said. Trust absolutely nobody. Listen to and read everything you can get your hands on and only believe that which you researched yourself. Now, how are you going to do that research? She just gave you great advice. She just gave me great advice as to how I can prove my own theory and my own opinion wrong. That's awesome advice. We'll be right back with Sherry right, right after the top of the hour. Okay, so how do you like them apples? <laughs> I, one of the things that attracted me to your coverage uh, was your history with Santilli. Uh, I'm I'm not that skilled. I like your professionalism and the detail you go to and your personal testimonials in, in covering that aspect of it. And I'm I'm anxious to see how Santilli comes out as the more and more the defendants start making deals. I, I would I would love. To see Santilli make a deal um, because I I hate to say this I could be totally wrong but I I don't see him winning in the way that would be winning in his mind uh, the, at least the Nevada case and I have said before 
that I do think that there is um, some possibility that he is going to maybe be able to work something out or have everything lessened here in Oregon. Um, that's just my opinion. I, I think that the things that are more inclined to real offenses outside of the inciting that I believe that he did in Oregon uh, happened in Nevada. And so I when I met Pete, it was literally on the heels of him having been at Bundy Ranch. I had known Pete uh, through the Internet and stuff, but I didn't know Pete like in any kind of continuous kind of communication until around October 2014, and uh, or maybe the month before that, September, October, right? I think it was September when we first started talking again. But we did spend, uh, you know, we, we went out to uh, have, have a drink to talk about, you know, some different business ideas. He was having a rough time, as I said before, and he was really going through a personal turmoil. So it was more like he kind of leaned on my shoulder, and um, and you know, I, it was just it was just, I, I just know Pete in a different way than than everybody I encounter does. And not that I don't understand where they're coming from, because I mean, he does his show. He presents himself a certain way. That's why I don't listen to the show. However how I got to know him and the Pete that I got to know is is so completely different than, than anything you guys have ever experienced with Pete Santilli. So, um, but the, you know, the, the, the idea of, of what he said in that clip and, you know, when you're talking about him calling and getting involved in the Kent Hoven case and stuff like that, the problem is, is that a lot of stuff that Pete put out there, he really believed as well. And then his, after the Bundy Ranch, he, really, really believed in that cause. Now, did he really do his due diligence? Did he do the maze backwards? Did he try to prove himself wrong like he said he was going to? I don't know that Pete did that. I don't know that he did that at any time because, you know, he wants to call it a shock jock. I don't know if I would call it a shock jock, but I definitely would consider him an entertainer. And he had a certain delivery and persona on his show. And, you know, that's what his listeners, who are aplenty, that's what they like, you know. He was able to thrive doing that, and you know, so kind of like how you feel about Ken Hovind, about how he, you know, you think that in a business sense, you know, he had some brilliance there. I think that Pink Santilli did very well at creating a small little empire, okay. But as far as proving himself wrong, um, I think that that really is what has gotten him into trouble. And those are those blanket labels and those blanket faiths. And you know, I say if you if you if you believe in God or a higher power and you have blind faith in that then more power to you, but when it comes to most things in life, especially things that can be harmful to others and to yourself, you should not go into it blind, just like people should have, you know, if they're going to call for an armed standoff, and I'm not saying Pete, but I mean the leaders themselves creating the situation and call for an armed standoff and want a bunch of people to show up, you'd think there would be some sort of a true vetting process, not a spiral notebook and a list of who has what weapons. So um, it's all very interesting. So um, I'm going to give you like two more minutes before I start closing up the show. Did you want to get anything else in about your time with the, with the IRS, anything specific about the Camp Hoven case or anything to do with the Bundy and the, the whole Bundy situation? Mm, so many choices. Uh, I'm not very good extemporaneously. Uh, what came to my mind as you were talking about Santilli goes back to what we talked about with Hovind regarding sentencing. So I might just close on making this observation as something to look for as it plays out in Oregon and Nevada. And that is, look at the sentences, the ones that made the plea bargains 
were given. And if, if there's any of them left that actually go to trial and try to play hardball and refuse to accept responsibility for their crimes, compare the plea bargain sentences to the trial sentences, and I think you'll get another perspective that has application to the Hoven case. Uh, every day you can read where tax cheaters make plea bargains and don't get much of a sentence. Kent wouldn't accept responsibility for his uh, adult career in crime, mostly tax cheating, and tried to play hardball and got 10 years, which was justified under the law. He could have got a right. lot better deal, and he could have kept his wife. Clearly, he could have kept his wife out of prison, but he was willing to send her to prison and take his 10 years. He might have considered it a vacation. He got low uh, security. He even tells you it's like living on a college campus, uh, despite his efforts at other times and those of his people to make it sound like he was in a torture camp. Uh, he did real well for himself while he was in prison. Uh, he claims he came up with three more PhDs and wrote 37 books and uh, answered 20,000 uh, letters and maintained uh, email correspondence with 30 people at a time, including me for a short time. That's crazy. And that that's that crazy. record is on the internet. Robert, we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pick up on, uh, another time because I do need to close out the show. The time the clock is ticking down on me. Thank you very very much for joining me tonight. Um, I appreciate being able to talk about this case and find the parallels and 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 teach people a little bit more about sovereign citizens. So thanks very much for coming. Thank you and good night. Good night. Our words have power. You know that. And propaganda goes both ways. It's up to each of us to take responsibility for that propaganda we participate in, whether we create it or curate it. Caring means a lot of things, including what we put out there for the world and what we bring back into ourselves from the world. What are you filling your mind with constantly? What are the algorithms of social media putting in front of your face because of who you're attached to or what you read last or what, what uh, website you were on before you hit it. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you can find the archives on Blog Talk Radio, Podbean, or on the website at TellingTheRhetoric.News. Don't forget to check out Rise of the Modern Cult while you're there. I think you like it. Parts 1 and 2 are there. Part if you like what I'm doing, please share my work, whether it is the shows that you're sharing or the articles or both. If you really want to show your love for what I do and appreciate all the hard work I do, feel free to tip me. Every gratuity is greatly appreciated. I'll be back live tomorrow night, Thursday, August 11th, 6 p.m. Eastern, I mean 9 p.m. East, <laughs> 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific with multiple guests who are all YouTube broadcasters. We're going to discuss YouTube's place in news reporting, conspiracy breeding, and more friends with one another. In fact, some of them have had a lot of turmoil between them, but that's not what the show is going to be about, especially uh, a lot of things have happened with the Oregon standoff and how that's affected YouTube. So we're going to talk about that uh, tomorrow night. So until then, be kind to one another. Whether you like each other or not, be open to people, be open to those ideas, all those things that challenge your own rhetoric. That's it for me tonight. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>